when you think of Bible stories from your childhood that have like stuck in your mind, stories that you heard, what mm -hmm. what's immediately what comes to mind? What's the story? Well, my parents, um, I was a young reader and my parents just let me loose on the Christian scriptures um, and the Hebrew Bible. And so I, you know, I read all of the, uh, I'm just going to say, I want to say maybe Deborah, um, yeah, I liked the kind of gory stories. Deborah in the Book of Judges, and, and mm, her, yeah, her general, liked, her her or yeah, her military jail, jail yeah. driving a stake into the head of yeah. an opposing. That general. one, those ones kind of stuck out in my mind because I was a child and it was completely unsupervised engagement with material that um, I actually I think it's fascinating that mm -hmm. my parents didn't provide any any oversight and I really enjoyed those stories and it did <laughs> not. I don't think it scarred me, but anyway, those are the stories that come to mind. What about you? I think the early chapters in Genesis, just because I think as a kid, you know, they got taught so often mm. and they have such iconic stories like Adam and Eve. But sure, I, I sure. wonder though, I wonder if I could, re wonder if we could read together a story from that er those early opening chapters of Genesis, the so-called primeval history okay. that has spawned not only a lot of speculation and writing in the ancient world, but even people writing some pretty interesting things today. Nice. Hey, my name is Brian Doak, and I am a scholar of the Hebrew Bible. Hi, I'm Leah Payne. I'm a historian of American religion, and we are your religion and pop culture companions in this life. It's and a, it's, today... It's a companion journey. We are. We're on a journey. Today, we're talking about... What are we what talking, are we talking okay. about? So this is... Okay, listeners, if you want to have the part one to this, it's called The Giant... It's released before this one. So you can mm -hmm. listen to that first, but this is a standalone too, so you don't have to, but if you do, bonus, okay? Um, we're going to talk about these characters in the Bible called Nephilim. Nephilim, N-E-P-H-I-L-I-M, Nephilim. These are fun and mysterious figures. I wonder if we could start with a scripture reading. Let's this is do part, it. part of our liturgy for today. A scripture reading from Genesis chapter six. I wonder if you would read it for us, please. Sure. The lector for our day, Leah Payne. <laughs> Um, Genesis chapter 6, in particular, the first four verses of Genesis 6, which has spawned, no pun intended, a massive amount of speculation and um, interest and intrigue. Go for it. When people began to multiply on the face of the ground and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that they were fair and they took wives for themselves of all that they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in mortals forever, for they are flesh. Their days shall be 120 years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days. And also afterward, when the sons of God went into the daughters of humans who bore children to them, these were the heroes that were of old, warriors of renown. You gotta love it. Mm-hmm. Now let's just do a, let's just do a little freewheeling interpretation jam on this passage before moving on. We can't move on too quickly from mm. a passage such as this. We'll provide a link, a listener, and you can read for yourself. Perhaps you're familiar with the passage. It's not exactly Sunday school fair, but I mean, what is happening in this passage? First of all, people are multiplying on mm -hmm. earth and some category of divine beings called here the sons of God. Hebrew there for you Hebrew People, B'nai Elohim, means either divine beings, sons of God, or sons of gods. All of those are all of those are grammatical possibilities. So the translation we're, that Leah was reading from, the NRSV, has it sons of God. 
Distinctly mm. not angels though. You'd think angels. Mm -hmm. There's a word for angels or that typically gets translated angels, not this term. Um, so who are these sons of God? But anyway, what did they do with the human women? Well, I have a question for you because I don't, I don't do Hebrew. Mm -hmm. um, this, this talk over here of they took wives for themselves. Is yeah. this a, was there, I mean, what's the situation with that? They, they forcibly took, they, what, no <sighs> one knows what this, what this means here. Yeah. I mean, the verb there for took, lakach, I think is, uh, is, is a kind of a, it's a, it's a euphemism. It, it can literally mean to take, like to take a cup off of a table, but in the context of marriage or wedding, it means to mm -hmm. take a spouse. Okay. So presumably. So kind of like how they knew them. That kind of thing? Yes, new. Yada okay. in Hebrew means no or new, but it means a special kind of knowing, like when a man and a woman do a very special <laughs> kind of hug. Okay. When a man and a woman so, love each other so very much. Very, very, very much. Or even not. Um, yeah. So, okay. So, I think though, okay, so the action that follows though, uh -huh. not, um, the idea of bearing children to them mm -hmm. tells us of the result of this Congress, mm -hmm. namely that there are some kind of beings born, but the ambiguity here is really stark. It doesn't say what they exactly bore. It just says in verse four, the Nephilim were on the earth in those days when the sons of God went into, now that's a much more literal euphemism. I guess that's a contradiction, but it, that's a, a, you know, that's a very- Seems easily like, yes, this means sex. When the sons of yes. God went into the daughters of humans who bore children to them. Doesn't exactly say that the children were the Nephilim. It says that these were the heroes of old, but are you supposed to think- I mean, what's your straightforward reading of this on the surface? That they are saying that these heroes of old are the Nephilim or that the Nephilim are the sons of God who mate with the human women or neither? Or well, both. I just, I, you know, you're bringing back childhood memories because this is one of those weird stories that kind of really stands out. Mm -hmm. um, and I guess I just always assumed that mm -hmm. it meant that these warriors, the old warriors of renown were these hybrid creatures right. who had, who were the result of these mysterious beings and human women. Yeah. But it leaves this question of like, what exactly are the Nephilim? Now, the yeah, ne no clue. The Nephilim are mentioned only one other time in the Bible. It's in Numbers chapter 13. Okay. I'll look that one up. I'll, I'll read that one for you. Numbers, you got to look it up here. Numbers 13. Okay, here we go. And it's in verse 32. This is an, an, an account when the Israelites are going to spy out the land that they want to take by force. And there's someone named Caleb who is an official spy for the group. And he okay. goes into the land oh, yeah, and he says, story. yep, let's go up and let's, let's go up. Let's occupy this land. Yep. But some of the other people are like naysayers with him. Mm -hmm. And they say, this is numbers 13, 31. Then the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against this people for they are stronger than we are. Mm -hmm. you know? So they're feeling a little insecure. The people are stronger. I mean, I get it. Um, verse 32. So they brought to the Israelites an unfavorable report of the land that they had spied out saying, quote, the land that we have gone through as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants and all the people that we saw in it are of great size. There we saw the Nephilim, the Anakites come from the Nephilim and to ourselves, we seemed like grasshoppers. And so we seemed to them. So this is the only other reference and it suggests that the giant inhabitants of the land of Israel, Palestine, Canaan were in fact genealogical descendants of these Nephilim mentioned mm -hmm, in Genesis mm -hmm. 6. Now, introduce an interpretive problem. How are they there? I thought the flood came and wiped everyone out from the earth except for Noah's family. 
I mean, this is possibly one reason for the flood in the biblical vision is that you have this divine human mingling, mm. creating these hybrid weirdo characters. Yeah. So how do the Nephilim live? Can you imagine the kind of things people might say for how the oh, Nephilim Oh, I live? feel like you're going to tell me. So one is that Noah's family are Nephilim. Okay. The other, there's a, there is actually a, a Jewish rabbinic uh, legend, which is very fascinating, which suggests it's in one of the Targums. These are Aramaic translations of the Hebrew Bible, but they also include interpretive flights. Yeah. And they say that like maybe some of these Nephilim survived by riding on the bottom of the ark, by oh. like clinging onto it. Okay. Uh, but you have to account for the fact that somehow this text seems to suggest that the Nephilim survived on. Now, here is where things get, get fascinating. And this is, the, this is the drama I want to take you into. Okay. In some post-biblical literature, um, post-Old Testament Hebrew Bible literature, I should say, like the book of First Enoch, this story gets a rewrite. Okay. Kind of like fan fiction. Yeah. And these authors rewrite the story and they basically say, yeah, these Nephilim, they were also giants and they try to clarify the ambiguity. And then they say that these Nephilim, this is in First Enoch chapter 15, I think, give okay. or take, in case you want to look it up. Great. We'll put a link to First Enoch here in the, in the show notes in case you want to do some Enoch reading. They say that in fact, these giants were created into, were made into spirits by God as a punishment and that these spirits are to haunt humankind even until this very day. Spooky Mulder. Dun, dun, dun. So okay. this leads to the thing I wanted to propose to you. All this was a buildup. Okay. Did you know or can you imagine there are there is now an emerging I'm going to call it an emerging new religious movement. I have no justification for really calling it that. Okay. But <laughs> I'm going to call it has new religious movement elements okay. to it or, and conspiracy elements around this idea of Nephilim, like okay. Nephilim spirituality. Love it here for it. Okay. But I just don't like what, what kind of, what, what affect or what practice do you need to take on to become part of the spirituality? A Nephilite. A Nephilim spiritualist. Yeah. Oh, I'm going to tell you. Okay, first, just defining a conspiracy. Um, we did a little bit of this in the episode on the giant, to which this is a kind of companion piece, but want to review. Um, a lot of people define conspiracies in terms of importance of the matter at hand, secrecy, and power. Okay. So in order okay. for this to really be a conspiracy, there's got to be some secrets. It's got to have powerful people at, at play. Right. Um, there, there's this famous author, Hofstetter. Hofstetter. Okay. I can't quite pronounce his name. He had a famous characterization. He called it a paranoid rhetorical style, oh, fun. which was marked by a consideration of history as a vast or gigantic motive force, a conspiracy as a motive force for okay. historical events. So I do think this Nephilim thing gets into that because the way people are spinning within the last five, 10 years, this Nephilim thing, it starts to get very big. So let me read you a title. Tell okay. me what you think this book is about. Okay. Here's a book that was published two years ago, 2020. It's by a Christian author whose last name is Sanger. Okay. It is called The Roots of the Federal Reserve, Tracing <laughs> the Nephilim from Noah to the U.S. Dollar. Wow. Tell me what you think that book is about wow. without even knowing. <laughs> I would, I would, issue. you know, what I would expect to find. I'll just say like one thing that comes to mind is I would expect to find some sort of account of the skull and crossbones or what's the, what's the famous organization that like that sounds right. famous Conspiracy. politicians have supposedly yeah. been involved in. I don't know. Am uh, I right? Or like Illuminati. Definitely Illuminati. There'd be some sort of, mm -hmm. I don't know. I would hope for some, some, something interesting. Like, yeah, something oh. like that. Oh, it's, it's amazing. 
I have actually read this book. <gasps> okay. Not every word, because it's 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 tough. It's tough going, but it is entertaining. Now the book begins every with a. Word. How many words uh, are we talking? Uh, like over four hundred pages. Oh wow! I'm gonna take you. Okay, the book begins with an ominous quote from. 20% of Americans' favorite source for information, the QAnon theory. Oh, okay. That quote is, quote, symbolism will be their downfall. Symbolism will be their downfall. This sounds like, I don't know, this sounds like something that we should get a Harvard symbologist in. Perfect. To look at. I'm here for it. Spooky Mulder. <laughs> okay. Spooky Mulder is going to un unravel this yep. for you. All right. She tells a story about the origins of the Federal Reserve. Okay. Okay, this is the group that controls U.S. banking and monetary policy, mm -hmm. which contains, among other things, well-known conspiracy lines regarding the Jekyll Island meeting that created the Federal Reserve. I believe this is off the coast of Georgia. Okay. Um, that created the Federal Reserve and also anti-Semitic tropes about elite Jewish banking families. Ew. All of which is going to prompt her to ask if there is a hidden agenda. This is a quote from the book. A hidden agenda of the central banking system intertwined with the Nephilim agenda. That phrase- the Nephilim agenda? That phrase, Nephilim agenda, appears dozens of times in the book. Now, this is how you get there. And I, I'm reviewing this book in, in detail because many of the books, there are other books in this genre as well, also very recent, also very popular. I should point out that at the time of this recording, the number one book under the, under the category Christian mystical spirituality on Amazon is a Nephilim spirituality book, Whoa. a different one. Yep. I feel like you're catching something on the front end of it. I know. Brian was one of the first, we should we should figure out, you mentioned it to me. You were one of the first people I heard tell me about QAnon. So you were- It's because I started QAnon. <laughs> um, we will never stop bragging about being early studio? on the QAnon train. We were, uh, we, we were, were no, but we this were. feels like it could Sorry. be that. Okay, so- Congratulations <laughs> is what I'm saying. Yeah. The world okay. might be ending, but congratulations. Tell me, okay, here's how these things often start. And I wanna know what you think about this. Um, from a religious studies perspective. A okay. lot of these start with the idea that in Genesis 3, Adam and Eve, you know the story? Of course. The yeah. serpent, the snake. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That, there, that that passage instigated what often will be called a, quote, seed war. A war of the seed. What? <laughs> Between the woman and the snake. This is in Genesis 3, 15, where God says in his curse to the ground and the serpent that the seed will be, I'm trying to find Genesis 3.15 here to read because it is a little bit of a deep cut. Well, because- uh, Genesis 3.15. Uh, you tell okay. me. Okay, I'm gonna tell you. God says, quote, I will put enmity between you and the woman right. and between your seed offspring and hers. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. Hmm. So they take this as a mystical cue Okay. Not, not only about Jesus, but about the idea that there are now two genetic lines. Yes, this is going to get into genetics and of course, human because if DNA. There's anti Semitic, anti Jewish Absolutely. stuff. Absolutely. So you get this, do you get the seed war idea? Yes. Like the seed yes. of Eve and then the seed of the serpent? Okay. Guess Wait. Who, okay, yeah, go ahead. And Jews are the serpent? Is that the idea? Okay, so the, the Jewish thing really doesn't come up again. It's just the monetary oh, okay. banking stuff. I kind of, I'm kind of on high alert because there's been so much. A lot of anti-Semitism, anti yes. all kinds of stuff. I know. That's why it was so shocking to read that. That Now, I think that this author, this author Sanger, I don't think she thinks the things she's saying about the Jewish banking families are actually anti-Semitic. I don't think she would. she believes that, but it is. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, is, a, it, is, it is anyway. Um, that is a really interesting, I mean, just, I think that some of those, because 
I wonder if some of the types of people who are promoting these theories mm-hmm. truly they they truly believe that like Jews are are more wealthy yeah. than the general population and that they right, right, right. like there's an idea like what I'm just saying and it's like well wait a second just the associate all of this whole network this is okay can I just pause us for a second and Go say for it. This is one of the things, if you actually talk to a conspiracy theorist, one time I gave a talk on American religious innovation, and that tends to attract, like, I I would guess a higher population of conspiratorial type thinkers Mm -hmm. than, you know, just like your average American city. Sure. (laughs) And a man came up to me afterward, and he had this, I can't even remember all the details of the theory, but it was completely unintelligible because... One of the, I think the great selling points of a, of a really successful conspiracy is they start with one thing that may be true or not true, but it's like in some way there's a hook that all of us agree on, mm-hmm. like that there is um, uh, American banks or that there is a U.S. Treasury Department. And that it began at, after a meeting on Jekyll Island. That's right. actually true. Those That's things, so like it begins with the yep. true thing and then it get, launches into this whole web. And then if you, like me, are not super fluent in the really specific history related to a moment in time that may right. or may not be what you think of as a critical moment to understand. Mm-hmm. Then all of a sudden you get lost in their web. It's very difficult. It's yes, sort of like- I know, I know exactly what you mean. You know what I mean? It's sort I of do. like talking to a scholar mm-hmm. who has only ever really thought about their work Right. And so has absolutely no interest or skill in like translating that into a conversation. Yeah. I mean, this actually happens, I think, in scholarly guilds a lot where someone is like, it's not all that different than a. Right. <laughs> I mean, you could argue that it's fact based. Yes. <laughs> Maybe. But there's just like this thing where you can't access the idea. And so yeah. you can't even argue against it. Oh, I know exactly what you mean. This, I, that this, was a word salad, this, this, what I just no. said. But. So what you're saying is like, and you're perfectly describing this book, The Roots of the Federal Reserve, Tracing the Nephilim from No to the U.S. Dollar. Is it's, a word salad? It's full of these arcane details, though, which if you were to try to refute them and track them down, it would take you years of your life. Right. But so this then person it's like has they done. won, you know? So let me tell you how this conspiracy plays out okay. with the seed war. It, it turns out that the anti-Semitic Jewish banking tropes kind of fade away. They come up at one point. Okay. But the seed war is about Eve and the serpent, and the serpent's seed goes on to create the Nephilim. And these Nephilim have to find, she claims, quote, host bodies in which to live because, per the book of Enoch, they become spirits in the spirit world. She even proposes a set of criteria for determining for determining whether or not one has, and listeners, you can look around you, whether or not one has a Nephilim host body. Oh my goodness. It includes negative moral qualities such as dishonest trade, sexual perversion, manipulation, cannibalism, and bloodlust. Check yourself. Oh my goodness. As well as physical characteristics such as, but not limited to, excessive strength, polydactyly, that is having six fingers and six toes. Oh, these poor people who... And also, this is the tough one, Red hair. <laughs> so, but combined so with these other very things, very tall, strong, tall, strong redheads, six-fingered gingers might be 
Nephilim host bodies. And she de- she devotes all kinds of ample space to going into the Smithsonian cover-up theory, which we oh, talked goodness. about in the Giants episode, but how namely the Smithsonian has covered up evidence of giants in North America. And she claims that Nephilim have traveled through human DNA to the point where many thousands of years later, some of their spiritual and literal physical descendants came to settle Jekyll Island as the native inhabitants of Jekyll Island, where we will remember the Federal Reserve was created in a secret meeting, making the connection crystal clear. And I quote from the book, the spiritual DNA released upon Jekyll Island releases a sound of dissonance that attracts spiritual darkness. The Nephilim agenda was deposited into the soil of Jekyll Island. The Nephilim agenda. Now here, now here's, Here's now most of these books, and I can cite other books too that get into this okay. this stuff. Um, one is called what's this other one called? Um, it's called The Judgment of the Nephilim by Ryan Peterson. That's the one that's like number one or number two on Amazon under mysticism Christian theology right now. Okay. Um, another one is called The Genesis Six Conspiracy: How Secret Societies and the Descendants of Giants Plan to Enslave Humankind. Oh goodness! That was gracious. they all follow this similar idea though of the seed war. Yes. And that and and they also take a cue from First Enoch that giants that the spirits of giants actually became demons and that they still exist in the world today and they are influencing world affairs. But and here I will submit this to you and we will end this this wild journey. Here's what I think is fascinating about Sanger's book, the Federal Reserve book. She actually goes so far as to try to identify bodily characteristics of these creatures as they might exist today. Now, if something is so serious, why would you not want to identify it? Why would you not want to stop it? But in Ryan Peterson's book, um, the, the Judgment of the Nephilim, he follows almost all of the same steps as Sanger does, all the same storylines, the seed war, the Nephilim DNA, the, the, the crossbreeding between the humans and the, you know, and it's even teased on the cover of his book, which has a DNA strand, Noah's Ark, and two pyramids. Mm. But Peterson, at the end of it, doesn't draw any conclusions about how or where you would find the Nephilim today. There's just an exhortation to like pray and like accept Jesus' influence in your life. I think in a way Sanger is being more is being more bold. She's at least putting her money where her mouth is, no pun intended, with her Federal Reserve theme. Mm. And she wants to actually identify it in the world, which is whereas some of these other ones, they will posit mm. the existence of this mm-hmm. kind of thing, but mm-hmm. fail to actually say where it exists, which actually makes it more mysterious in a sense. I don't know. Talk to me about that. Why well, would you, what, what do you think I, of the pros you know, and cons of actually trying to of making, like staking uh, a claim of on- Of finding the Nephilim in the world today in exact people versus not. Well, I'll say this. I actually, I, I Googled Jekyll Island as you were telling me that nice. story. Nice. And by the way, what a beautiful place. We do the research here. We this. do. Um, beautiful place. And it has a really distinct shoreline with really beautiful trees that look kind oh. of mysterious. Oh. And so I thought how interesting, I wonder if, if the author has ever been there because it does look like a great place to, uh, if I were going to make a, a, um, Oh, it is in Georgia. Television, sh- television show. Yeah, it is in Georgia. Gorgeous. I'm looking, yeah. at, I'm looking at some images right now. It, it is, is. It is beautiful. Really beautiful. Um, and so I'm like, whoa, what a mysterious place to mm-hmm. have a good mystery story. Totally. Uh, so the benefit of putting your ideas out there and like making concrete claims is that you get you you draw people's attention to actual physical spaces. And you potentially invite more participation, I mm-hmm. think. Like I could imagine maybe a pilgrimage mm-hmm. or maybe people who want to find a way to dig up the... The bones. Nephilic 
energy <laughs> nephiletic. Yeah, yeah, the nephilim energy, Nep- which is in the ground. Exactly. That just all sounds like I'm saying a bad word, but anyhow, it's not, something it's, like that. Yep. Yeah. Okay, that's one option. But I do think at the end of the day, keeping it because I, you and I, we've written an article about conspiracy theories. I think the real magic of a conspiracy theory is keeping it fairly vague because it keeps the creative power uh, in the the realm of the storyteller. Mm-hmm. And so, so for example, I get contacted by journalists every now and then who ask me, you know, with all of these Pentecostal prophets who are making these claims about political outcomes or, right. or all the numerous modern conspiracy theories about the election or, you know, now like all kinds of um, out there ideas about QAnon and such. And they say, will people ever come to a point where they will get tired of these conspiracies or they'll stop believing them? Mm -hmm. And I'm always a little skeptical about whether or not they'll stop because they're general enough Mm -hmm. to, it's sort of an, it's an invitation. So you don't, you don't refute these. Mm -hmm. You either, I think you either ignore them or you get involved in them in some kind of way. Mm. And if there's something concrete to refute, then it's sort of, it's, it like takes away from the potential of just like generating story after story after story. Because the thing about these conspiracy theories is even if you were to prove one part of it untrue, somebody could say like, Oh, of course you'd think that because you are involved in blah, 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 blah. You know? So I think overall, as a strategy, if mm-hmm. I were coaching, if I were like a conspiracy coach, mm-hmm. I think I'd have to say, keep it vague. I like that. Let me end by reading a review that someone wrote of Sanger's The, Ro- the Roots of the Federal Reserve. Is this like on Amazon or I something? I realize that taking Amazon reviews as evidence. Because <laughs> I'm going to read some of yours. Journalists when you cover this garbage. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I realize that, but I, I want to read this review. It's the top r- review for the for the book. You can find it. and Because I think it says something about the appeal of this kind of book, though. Okay. Here's the person says, and I'm excerpting from it. She makes you see the Bible. This is like five out of five stars. She makes you see the Bible in a whole new way. I went through and highlighted things that really had my head spinning. And when I finished reading it, I gave it to my mom to read. And then the mom reads it. If you're looking for a book to help you understand things you've read in the Bible in a whole new way, buy this book. I honestly didn't care about the links to the Federal Reserve once I started reading, which is weird because I know that's what the book was about. But everything else she goes into detail on is so stinking interesting. I just sort of got absorbed in each chapter and topic and forgot what the overall purpose of the book was. Anyway, buy this book. Two things I want to point out there. One is this issue of that that conspiracy really is a kind of web of interconnected things that is about entertainment. Yes. Right? This person's admitting openly that they didn't even exactly. care what the book was about. She is backing up our point. She's backing up. The other thing is like this issue, and I think this is this is fodder for an entirely new episode, but this this desire that people have after 2,000 years of Christianity, late capitalism, whatever the period is that we're in, there's a, there's a, there's a consumer audience that's constantly looking for like some new angle on the Bible mm-hmm. and anything that can revive Bible study in a way that's exciting. Mm-hmm. Notice that, notice mm-hmm. that, see the Bible in a new way. Yeah. Actually what stood out to me is the way she read. That is definitely a traditional evangelical Bible study habit where you highlight, you know, you highlight things in yep, the book. Yep. And you that's get- a practice, a very specific spiritual practice. And you give it to your mom. A hundred percent. This has been a production of Weird Religion. A podcast for people who know religion is weird but love it anyway. Follow us on Twitter or Instagram. Follow us into the ocean. Allow your heart to blossom. 
retreat into the gorgeous and haunted forests of your mind. Find us there.